there was a big horde cluster of F1 media members and photographers standing blocking the pit lane as a car is coming into the pits during an active race and that is just absolutely unacceptable that is not okay under any circumstances and whoever's responsible for this needs to be severely reprimanded and there needs to be some punishment laid out there All right, guys, what is up? This is your boy Mel, a.k.a. Naldo Formula One, and you are now tuned into the Naldo F1 podcast. This is going to be episode 12. Man, as you guys can see, I've switched up once again just a little bit. Got some new equipment, some new stuff to, to play around with. I've been fooling around with this new mic. Shout out to El Gato for the Wave DX, I believe this mic is called, and the Wave XLR interface. That is off camera. You guys can't see that one, but I'm so excited to just try to bring you guys some real high quality audio. I've been testing it. It sounds amazing, and I hope you guys can tell the difference. While you're here, just pause the the episode real quick before we get into the the good stuff. Pause the episode. Go to if you're watching this on YouTube or wherever you're listening to this. Make sure you like and subscribe. If you're listening to this on audio with Spotify or Apple Music, that's Apple Music, Apple Podcast, make sure that you guys leave a five-star review. Those help out so much. I've already seen a couple, and the subscriber count is growing. The follower count is growing on all my social media platforms. Make sure you follow those as well, at Naldo Formula One, pretty much across the board. And I got I got some big stuff popping, man. I got some some real nice things in the work. So make sure you guys tune into the IG and stay updated to whatever it is that I got going on. Because I'm really trying to grow this thing, man, and I can feel it. There's something special working here. And I'm so excited to be on this journey with you guys. I'm I'm completely gassed. I'm a little bit like on edge just a little bit, just because I had like a C4 energy drink like five minutes ago, so my energy is is sky high right now, and I'm trying to maximize this and take advantage of this and use this to good. I just finished watching the recording of the race a couple of hours ago. I'm in Texas, wherever you're listening to this, I'm in Texas, so Baku was about, started about 6 a.m. this morning, and I'm an early riser, I think, but not that early, not on Sunday. So, I recorded it, woke up first thing this morning, rewatched the race, and boy, I'm, I needed that C4 because I can't believe I'm still awake right now. That was a snooze fest. I will be the first to admit that Formula One, sometimes the races are just absolute bangers, and sometimes they just fail to deliver. So, and this is just happened to be one of those weekends that Formula One failed to deliver. Baku is a pretty tough, tough track. It's really exciting in qualifying just because you see the guys super on the edge, but it's... It's just not that that exciting of a race, to be honest. The past couple of years haven't been the greatest. I know in twenty what was that twenty twenty one we had that two lap shootout after the red flag period, and so I mean yeah, you see what it took for us to have even an exciting end. Pretty much the whole race up to that point was pretty pretty dull, and that usually happens with street tracks. It's pretty tough to pass in sector two. 
is really hard to to follow, stay close behind in in sector two. So it, it's just it makes it difficult for for racing. But all all of that aside, I think it was good to have Formula One back. It's nice having a weekend to look forward to. It was a sprint weekend, which I'll get into a little bit later. But yeah, it was just nice. We'll we'll be in Miami next weekend. Um, like I actually won't be in Miami. I don't know why I said we, us, the Formula One community. Formula One will be in Miami next weekend. I won't be in Miami next weekend. I wish I would love to go to Miami for a race, not just for probably not mostly for the race itself, but just the environment of being in Miami and having racing there and the sunshine and the beach. I live in Houston, so we're semi close to a beach, but if you know anything about Texas, Galveston is not the place to be. I know I'm starting to go off on a tangent, but to bring it back full circle, like I said, guys, follow wherever you're listening to this at. Hit the bell for the notifications if you're on YouTube so you're notified every single time that I post a video or some content. I'm trying to get this thing, man, pumping, get the gears grinding, keep this thing rolling. And like and subscribe on Spotify, wherever you're listening to this is available on all audio platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, Overcast, all the cast, man. Yeah, just just subscribe, man. Get these these downloads up. At that too. Download the episode. You can delete it right after. It really doesn't matter. I just that download is where I get my interaction from. So I really need those downloads. So you can download it, delete it immediately right after that. That helps a lot too. So let's get it started, man. I'm gonna just brush through the weekend really quick because there wasn't there were some talking points, but there wasn't a whole lot to talk about. Shout out to Checo Perez. He's Mr. Street Circuit at this point. Like he runs the streets at this point because he's the first back to back winner in Baku, the first repeat winner at all in Baku. We've been this is our, I think, seventh or eighth race in Baku, Azerbaijan. And we haven't had a repeat winner in any of the years. And this is the first time Checo won it last year. And won it again this year. So shout out to Checo Perez. Wait, did he win? Is this three in a row? Because didn't he win in 2021 too? I, again, blank mind. He might have won in 2022 too. So yeah, man, that dude is on top of it. No, he didn't win in 2021. Because we haven't had a, I just said we didn't have a repeat winner. I'm sorry, guys. Ooh, we, man. Yeah, just ignore all of that. <laughs> ignore all of that. I literally just said we didn't have a repeat winner, and then I tried to say that he won three in a row. Okay, just doesn't exist. Not real. Okay, so I did misspeak. Sergio did not win in 2022. He won in 2021. It's been an absolute blur, and I definitely got my years crossed up. 2021 was the year that Max tire randomly exploded on the straight when he was leading – for by like 20 or so odd seconds and it was getting towards the end of the race and his tire just completely fucking exploded and then Sergio went on to win and Lewis had the brake magic lock up off into turn one we're not going to talk about that but yeah 2021 was the year that Sergio won and so he's not a back-to-back winner but he's a repeat winner the first repeat winner in the Baku Azerbaijan Grand Prix history so just wanted to clear that up. 
I do have a little bit of a bone to pick. I don't know whose responsibility this is, and I don't want to just start naming entities and people because obviously I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure where this blame is supposed to fall, whether it be with F1 Media or Liberty or the FIA or track officials, but we had a bit of a scary incident at the end of the race this Sunday, and we, I have no grasp on the English, English language right now, but we had a little bit of an incident, very scary incident, on the end of, at the end of the race this Sunday. Esteban Ocon and Alpine decided to go long on their hard tires, and so long to the point to where they get to the end of the race, and they have not pit yet. They were praying for a late safety car. That late safety car never came. And so they were for, they ended up being forced to pit on the last lap, which is usually never a good idea. And they were going to end up basically in last place due to this strategy call. They had to take a big risk, took a big swing, and missed. But that is not the issue here. The issue here is what happened in the pit lane and the communication with the personnel and photographers and media guys surrounding the pit lane. So it's customary for at the end of the race, the team pit crew and mechanics of the race winning team usually run to the fence inside the pit lane and jump on the fence and cheer on their uh, their race winner. And that's that's just normal procedure. I think they're trying to do away with that just to, for safety risk. I think it's stupid. They've been doing it for decades and have had little to no incidents. But I guess just for say, I, I respect safety concerns, so I get it. Whatever. They're trying to do away with that. That's not the problem here. The problem here is, I guess, yeah, that's part of the problem. But the real issue is that as Esteban was coming into the pits on lap 51, because if you're unaware, you cannot finish a race without pitting. You have to pit at least once if you're on dry tires. If you're on wet tires, you can take the wet tires from the beginning of the race to the end of the race, no problem. But on dry tires, you cannot finish the race on the same tires that you started on without pitting. So you have to pit at least once. You have to. Or you're disqualified from the race. So there's literally no advantage. It's not like you could just take a penalty and just live with the results. No, you get disqualified from the entire race if you don't pit. So Alpine were forced to pit Esteban on the final lap. And as he was pulling into the pits, there was a big horde cluster of F1 media members and photographers standing blocking the pit lane as a car is coming into the pits during an active race and that is just absolutely unacceptable it is not okay under any circumstances and whoever's responsible for this needs to be severely reprimanded and there needs to be some punishment laid out and there needs to be some clear guidelines as to what is and what is not acceptable as far as operations on the track during a live race because Keep in mind, these the cars aren't going that fast in the pit lane, but they're still going well quick enough to harm a person severely, if not cause a fatal accident. So there's no reason why there should be pedestrians walking back and forth through the pit lane during an active race when there's cars coming through. That's just unex absolutely unacceptable. I'm happy that nothing came of it and nobody got hurt, but... The potential was there, and you just hate to see stuff like that 
and you just don't realize how much of a danger that is. Like even when you're looking at it on TV, you don't feel that speed and the size of these cars and the force that they create. I mean, you try getting hit by a car going like 60 miles an hour. Like, yeah, you're going to feel that bare minimum. So no, no, unacceptable. I'm not going to spend too much time on that. I just wanted to get that out there, get that off my chest, because that really bothered me. I posted about it on my Instagram story and posted a pretty tame version. But, yeah, no, I, I, I'm i not rocking with that whatsoever. Unacceptable. So, again, I'm not going to start naming names and putting blame. I don't know who exactly is responsible for that. But whoever is responsible for it, yeah, you 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 got some fixing to do. You got some shit to get, get right. All right. Rant over. Woosah. Clear that off my chest. Um, another touching point, I think, I just want to talk about Fernando for a little bit. Man, Fernando seems like he's really found a home at Aston Martin. And he seems, this is the happiest I think I've ever seen him. I didn't get to watch his championship years. I wasn't watching Formula One that early. So all I remember of Fernando really is the McLaren Honda days when he was struggling. And so, and like the McLaren Renault days when he was also struggling and like dragging that piece of shit car up the field and the point regular points and stuff. But that's a side side note. Fernando really has like grown and found a home with Aston Martin, and he seems super positive. He was super communicative with the team on the radio and what strategies could work, how the tires were feeling and settings and stuff like that. He even at one point came on the radio and was like, hey, tell S- or tell Lance Stroll my brake balance setting so that he can change it because it might help him because it's really helping me. And most drivers don't do that. Most drivers, especially drivers at Fernando's level, are super selfish and they don't want to help their teammate in any way, shape, or possible. I do think there's a little bit of an ulterior motive there because – Fernando has to pretty much stay in good standing with his teammate because his teammate is the son of the owner. So you don't want to be going out here burning bridges because we've never seen him do anything like that with Esteban outside of the fact of how he defended Lewis for with the life of him in uh, Hungary in 2021 when Esteban got his one and only race victory. That was a great teammate moment. But I also think that Fernando benefited from that because – he just loves fighting Lewis and he wants to stick it to Lewis at any given opportunity. So I think that that was somewhat of an ulterior motive for, for Fernando. I do think that he genuinely did want to help Esteban, but it definitely didn't hurt that it was, he was holding up Lewis. And so, but outside of that, I've never seen Fernando act that way with a teammate and be that forthcoming and that nice, just to put it bluntly, nice to a teammate. And it was it was cool to see. He was seemed like in great spirits. He ran a great race, got pretty close to Charles at the end of the race, tried to steal that podium off of him. Didn't happen this weekend. But he before this, he was on a run of three straight uh, P3 finishes, podium finishes. So shout out to Fernando, man. He seems like he's, he's really enjoying himself in that Aston Martin. I mean, it's kind of hard not to enjoy yourself when you're driving a better car than you've driven in like 15 years. So cool beans man um yeah so back to what i was saying it was a sprint weekend um that actually kind of ties into what the theme of this episode is going to be about but 
with it being a sprint weekend, and I'll get to it, I'll explain if you don't know what the sprint weekend means, but being a sprint weekend, we had the sprint race on Saturday. They are testing new formats for the sprint weekend, so we had a sprint shootout Saturday morning, which I missed. I watched the sprint race. It was it was all right, and then the actual qualifying session for the race to set the grid for the race was on Friday, which I didn't care for, but it is what it is. I, I at least appreciate them for trying something different. Wow, it is really nice to not have to hold the mic and have this arm. I'm sorry. I, I got distracted for a second, but yeah, it is super nice to just have my hands free and be able to not have to worry about the positioning of the mic because it just stays right here. This is really nice. Onward. <laughs> um, yeah, the sprint weekend, it was cool. We saw some spiciness on Saturday between championship leader Max Verstappen and Mercedes driver George Russell. They were battling wheel to wheel on lap one. George, <clears throat> George made a mistake, a little bit of a mistake, slight lockup understeered a little bit a lot of 90 degree corners in Baku so understeered a little bit I believe in the turn three and brushed Max gave him a little bit of contact and Max just seemed to lose his shit I don't necessarily understand it I know I'm not the biggest Max fan so this sounds like hate coming from me it's really not hate but Max rightfully so was upset about the incident and got on team radio, was like, hey, the stewards need to look at this. He ran into me and yada, yada, yada. Cool, whatever. Be upset. I'm totally fine with that. Any driver's going to be upset about that. But it continued to, like, pick up throughout the race. Like, he continued to whine about it and moan about it on the radio the entire race. And just throwing petty shots and just nonsense throughout the entire race and I really was it was really starting to get under my skin a little bit especially with it coming from Max and we know Max likes to race hard and he lives he leaves just enough space for it to be legal and sometimes pushes that line a little bit which is sometimes it's necessary it's necessary for high level drivers to push the limits if if you didn't walk the line between what's fair and what's not they wouldn't be the best in the game so Max, of all people, going on and on about hard racing, which I believe it was mostly a lap one incident, and the stewards agree they didn't give a penalty to George. But I think the damage that Max picked up was probably, it looked worse than what the incident actually entailed. If you like see the clip, then it didn't really look that bad. But Max is just was just whining about it the whole race. And he even dragged it into the post-race, like when they were doing the cool-down area in Park Ferme in the pit lanes after the race. He came up to George and was, like, confronting him about it and got in his face and was just moaning about it. And George even was like, I'm sorry, man. It it, it was a first-lap incident. My tires were cold. I understeered and locked up a little bit. It, I didn't do it intentionally. And Max was just all in his face about it. And what really bothered me it's fine to be upset and confront somebody about it. And that's that's cool. I understand it. But George just had enough and walked away from the situation. He's like, I don't want to hear this chat anymore. And as Max is walking away, he's like, oh, I'm going to remember that next time. And called him a dickhead 
as he was walking away, though. But he waited until, like, George was out of touch to to basically call him a dickhead. And I thought that was a, a weak move, man. If you're going to confront somebody and, and get aggressive with somebody, at least do it, like, face-to-face, mano-a-mano. Don't wait till the man turn around and walk away to call him out of his name. That's that that shit's just kind of weak and I don't that shit doesn't fly with me. I don't like stuff like that. And so that was just a just a uncharacteristic. I wouldn't I I can't even call it uncharacteristic. It was just an unnecessary moment from Max and with him leading the championship and being one of the best drivers on the grid, if not the best driver on the grid, you just expect a little bit more from a driver of his stature. And George, as George does, he kept it cool, kept it calm, even afterwards. Even in his post-race interviews, he never insulted Max, never went back and forth with him. And so just a show of class from George, so I appreciated that. And it was just a little disappointing to hear that and see that type of attitude from Max, especially coming from him, because we've seen how he can be in wheel-to-wheel combat. But that's my rant and tangent for today. I'm not really going to go too deep into that. I mean, I give try to give drivers a little bit of grace, especially in the heat of the moment when you're just that upset. It just doesn't – sometimes it, the the – the red mist can can get to you a little bit and you're seeing red and so you just say the first thing that comes to your mind even if it's not necessarily the best thing to say in that moment so i get that i understand moving on it like i said it was a snoozer of a race so i'm not even really going to spend too much time talking about it lewis fans we had a tough one out there it was it was tough to overtake got screwed over a little bit by the safety car and just it was a tough race the pace wasn't there i kind of expected that though baku mercedes wasn't good at baku last year and they weren't that much better in baku this year ferrari doing ferrari things they had a pretty overall a pretty good race finishing third and fifth and charles's first podium of the the season but We've seen that Charles can they, – they got the qualifying pace. He was lightning and qualifying. And when it comes to racing, like the race pace just isn't there for Ferrari for whatever reason. So that's something that they're going to have to really, really dig deep and try to figure out. But moving on to what we actually came here to talk about, the title of this video and, again, something that I feel like the people that aren't huge F1 fans can really connect to and vibe out with is speaking the language, man, speaking the jargon of F1. You hear me saying all these phrases all the time. And if you tune into a race, you probably hear people talking. And that's one of the hardest barriers to pass when it comes to learning anything, but specifically racing in Formula One is speaking the language and understanding what it is that these guys are actually talking about throughout a race weekend. And I'm going to be your guide and try to, I guess, just transition you guys and give you guys just the template and a reference point to understanding Formula One better. And so I'm just kind of, we're just going to have a little chit chat and work through some phrases and talk about some things so that you guys can really understand 
what it is that's going on on like a race weekend and how things operate and stuff like that and just how to speak the jargon and the lingo and the slang and stuff like that so yeah man let's uh it's i guess easy enough to start with like a sprint weekend and what it means for a sprint weekend as opposed to just your average race weekend so i actually don't know the number of <clears throat> of sprint weekends that we have this year i think it's up to like seven or eight it was like six last year and so basically what a sprint weekend is your normal weekend will consist of three practice sessions so practice one and two on friday practice three on saturday morning and then you have two sessions well i guess technically four more sessions but you have qualifying on saturday afternoon and then the race on sunday afternoon and qualifying consists of q1 q2 q3 i do have a tiktok breaking this in down in depth so if you guys want head over to my tiktok and you'll hear me break down qualifying in depth but in like the whole race weekend in depth but how that changes with a sprint weekend is basically you eliminate practice two and three, so there's only one practice session, well, at least the the format that they've been testing in Baku. So you have practice one on Friday, then you get your qualifying session, and your qualifying session sets the grid order for the race on Sunday. And the sprint sessions are completely independent, at least with under this new format. So... Uh, you get your qualifying session on Saturday after on Friday afternoon that set the grid order for the race. Then Saturday morning you get the sprint shootout, which is a qualifying session for the sprint race on Saturday afternoon. So the guys come out Saturday morning, run your run a semi qualifying session, and then you Saturday afternoon you have your shortened sprint race. And your sprint race just consists of basically just a shortened feature race so it's i think it's like 33 percent of the race distance and the race was 51 laps the feature race was 51 laps on sunday this weekend and so your sprint race would consist of i think what was it like 18 or like i don't, I don't i actually i'm not even gonna lie to sit here and lie to you guys i don't know how many laps was on the sprint race it was just all a blur to me but it's just it's just a shortened race essentially and then you have your feature race on Sunday like normal. No, no other sessions on, on Sunday. And so that's kind of what a sprint race, sprint race consists of and sprint weekend consists of. We don't have too many of those. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of sprint races. I think that they're a little gimmicky. And now with the sprint race not setting the grid for the feature race, it's even less incentive of drive for drivers to want to race hard and try to really push for points there are points available which is i guess the whole reasoning behind the sprint race but it's not enough to justify the top drivers wanting to take any significant risk so i kind of got these separated just like general terms and then racing terms and like technical terms the technical stuff is can be a little bit boring but I think that it gives you some good context to understanding racing and just a little bit better. And a lot of this doesn't just apply to Formula One. A lot of this just applies to racing across the board. So just some general terms like 
the pit wall or pit lane. So it's a separate area where drivers go into the pits where their garages are posted at and where they do all the mechanical work, change tires, all of that stuff. And the pit wall is essentially where the team leaders and strategists are all basically located at. So each team has their own pit wall, usually with about six to eight people, usually consisting of the team principal, both drivers, individual engineers. Um, and then there's usually a lead engineer and a couple strategists on the pit wall with them. And what they're in charge of is basically just communicating to the drivers the bigger scope of the race. So drivers usually can only are only aware of what's happening to their car and what's directly around them. So they have a lot of information on their steering wheels and displays on the steering wheel, but they don't have a bigger picture of the race. So like where all the other drivers are compared to like where they are. So they can probably, they can just see the drivers in front of them, the drivers in their mirrors. And that's pretty much it. And so it's the team's job to communicate with them, what the gaps are to like the leaders, what their pace looks like, what the weather is looking like, the track temperatures and just essentially the, just the bigger picture of the race and give them and allow them to make informed decisions about how they're racing and how they're driving and stuff like that. So that's the responsibility of the pit wall and just the pit crew and pit teams. The pit crew is a group of mechanics that are just changing tires and changing front wings, changing front wing ang arrow angles. Boy, that was a tongue twister. Front wing arrow angles and just essentially in charge of the upkeep of the cars. So that's kind of the breakdown of what like the pits are responsible for. And it's also a slang term would be box. So if you're, you hear a team radio come on during a race and they tell a driver to box or box, we're boxing in two laps or whatever, that's essentially telling them that you need to come into the pits to change tires either on this lap or on X, a number of whatever laps and stuff like that. So that kind of breaks down what like the pits are as far as tires and fuel management. So think of the race as like a, a, a long distance, like a five thousand five K in track and field. You have to manage your pace at certain times. And sometimes slower is faster when it comes to racing. So you don't they're not pushing as fast as possible every single lap of the race back to back to back to back or else they would just burn through tires and they would burn through fuel too quickly and they wouldn't be able to finish the race and do it in efficient time. So at any given point in the race drivers will intentionally slow their pace and try to basically manage the tires to keep them lasting longer so that they don't have to stop because you lose a lot of time going into the pit stops anywhere from 15 to up to 30 seconds in the pit lanes. So you don't want to have to pit too often. So they have to find the balance between pushing and driving as fast as possible, but also managing the tires and managing the fuel teams will usually intentionally underfuel the cars to make them as light as possible because a lighter car goes faster. And again, if you watched my Instagram story from a couple of days ago, these guys are fighting for milliseconds, like tenths, 
thousandths, hundredths of a second, which is the blink of an eye. So every little bit matters. And the lighter a car is, the faster it can go. So they'll usually underfuel the car and drivers will lift off earlier into braking zones and coast through corners to try to save as much fuel as possible throughout the race. They're usually praying for safety cars because you save a lot of fuel under safety cars because you're not pushing flat out. So that just kind of breaks down like pace management throughout the race, that sort of thing. Um, kind of moving on to fuel management, aero and stuff like that, a technical term, aerodynamics. I'm sure you guys all know just the concept of what aerodynamics actually are. And how they apply to Formula One is pretty much how that similar to similarly to how they apply in all aspects of engineering and physics. It's basically just using the speed of the car and the way air flows to push the car into the ground and keep a lot a high level of grip on the track surface, which gives these cars the ability to take corners at ridiculous speeds. I mean. If you've seen any Formula One race or any Formula One car on track, they can take crazy angled corners, 70, 80 degree corners at full speed going 150, 160 miles an hour. I mean, you have Cops Corner at Silverstone, which is almost a 90 degree corner that they're taking at like 190, 180 miles an hour, pulling crazy G-forces. And what allows them to do that is the arrow from the car. These new generations of cars channel a lot of their aerodynamics from the floor. It used to mostly be the wings and the barge boards on the previous generation's cars, but it's transitioned to the floor under these new regulations. And so that allows them to basically think of it as like a suction cup to like stick the, the car to the ground and allow it to have the maximum grip possible. And you want to find that balance between having downforce which is what the force the name of the force that's pushing the uh the air onto the car to keep it on the ground you want to have a good balance between downforce and drag and so you don't want too much downforce because you create drag and that makes you slower in a straight line so if a, a track has a long a long straight on it you're susceptible to being too slow on the straight so you got to have the, the nice balance and that's where aero balance comes into to play so you'll hear drivers talk about aero balance throughout the weekend. And so that's kind of a big technical term, and a lot something that a lot of people really don't necessarily kind of goes over people's heads. And I hope that I explain this in a way that doesn't go over you guys' heads. As far as tires and tire management, on any given weekend, drivers will have three tire compounds available to them. A soft tire and that's a red wall marked tire. So when you see the red walls, sidewalls on the tires, that they're running soft tires. Um, a medium is yellow marked, and a hard tire is white marked. And so Pirelli, which is the official tire manufacturer for Formula One, there used to be tire wars where different manufacturers would make tires for different teams, but now it's all Pirelli across the board. That may change in the future, but for now, this is the way it is. And so they give they have a range of tires ranging from C5, which is the absolute softest tire, to C1, which is the absolute hardest. So those three tires, so the three tire compounds available on any given weekend will range basically 
at some fall on some point in that range, three in a row. So let's say this weekend is a good example. So the their the tires available were C five, C four, and C three. So C five was the soft tire, C three was or C four was the medium tire, and C three was the hard tire. And so that's only for this weekend. Next weekend it may be different. Next weekend the soft tire could be C four. The medium tire could be C3 and the hard tire could be C2, if that makes sense. So they just fall somewhere in that range. And that kind of allows the teams to come up with strategies for how exactly they're going to manage the tires throughout the weekend. Normally, on an, at any given point, the softer tire is the quicker tire, but it's not as durable. So... The medium tire is usually what you'll see the most throughout a race weekend because it gives you the nice balance between pace and longevity. A hard tire will give you a lot of longevity and is good on tracks with higher degradation where the tires break down quicker, but it's usually a lot slower than, say, a medium tire or soft tire. Maybe, depending. It it usually depends on weekend to weekend. And teams do a really good job of figuring out what's the best tire to be on at any given point. But generally speaking, the soft compound is what they're going to use in qualifying because you you need it for one lap to go as fast as possible. Medium tire is usually a good balance, and hard tire is great for long stints and longevity. And you have, as far as like some more technical terms and racing terms, you have – on the cars, your ERS system or your battery system. So these cars are hybrid powered, and so the battery allows them to make additional power. I think right now they get 70% of the power from the combustion engine and 30% from the hybrid power system, the battery system. In 2026, that'll change to 50-50. And so when you hear a driver or a announcer or commentator talking about the ERS system or the ERS system, that's the battery charge and battery power. And they can kind of release it as a like boost system. So they can, they have a button on their steering wheel that controls their ERS deployment. And so if they're getting ready to pass a driver, they can, usually a team will come on the radio and say, overtake is available or you have battery available. And there's a button on their steering wheel that can press that works sort of as a push to pass along with the DRS system and allows them, just gives them more power. Sometimes you'll hear drivers on the radio asking, do I have more power? And they're essentially asking, is there battery available for me to be able to pass the driver in front because I'm stuck? As far as the DRS system, I know that's kind of confused ERS and DRS. ERS is energy recovery system. That is the battery power. It is a hybrid system that they can recover electrical energy through braking and coasting and then the drs system is something completely different that's all aero based and there's a flap on the rear wing i'll put a picture up probably right here um basically the wing is like a flap and then it opens up to let air flow through to reduce drag and allows them to pick up a hell of a lot of speed on the straights so you'll have drs zones throughout the the lap and you have to be within one second of the car in front of you or behind you. Yeah, you have to be within one second of the car behind you in order to have DRS within the race. And that just allows drivers to be able to pass at a very, very high rate of speed. This is when you see the time, the the cars going 200, 215 plus 
on the straights with the DRS system open. And they pick up a lot of slipstream and allows them to pass because it's really hard to follow through through systems. I know some of the I really hope I'm explaining this well and I'm gonna try to put some graphics up to kind of help you guys visually for the visual learners out there. I know I'm visual, so just hearing people lecture can be pretty tough for me as far as like trying to understand things. And I know you heard me mention Park Ferme earlier. So Park Ferme is a place on the track as well as a concept. And essentially what it is, is after a car leaves the garage to go out and qualifying in Q1, they have to keep the exact same setup. So these cars are highly adjustable. They can adjust the front wing angles, the rear wing angles, the suspension dampening, like softness or stiffness, um, suspension geometry, ride height. These cars are super adjustable. The rake on the car. And so what used to happen back in the day is that cars would be com set up completely different in the qualifying session because you only need to be fast for one lap. On the race, you got to be fast for 60 to 70 laps on any given track. So it's com so sometimes the cars would be completely different from the Saturday qualifying session that they are to the Sunday race. And when Park Ferme was introduced, it basically forces you to keep the exact same setup from the qualifying session to the race on Sunday. So that's just when you're hearing people talk about Park Ferme, that's what they're talking about. So it can make it really difficult because you want to find the right balance of being fast and qualifying, but you don't want to sacrifice all of your race pace just to be fast and qualifying because you only get points on Sunday. You don't get any points for qualifying. It's just a positional advantage type of deal. So moving on, um, a, a term you'll hear a lot is in the points. In the points just means that the drivers are within the top 10 of the basically the 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 race leaderboard. So only the top 10 finishers score points. It's a sliding scale. I'll probably put that sliding scale here. I broke that down in a TikTok too, but yeah, it it just a sliding scale of what points you're going to earn for what position. So you'll hear pundits or commentators saying, "Oh, this driver is trying to get into the points." That just means that they're trying to get into 10th or higher. Simple as that. As far as the racetrack, it's simple. It's broken down into straights and corners. Corners, all corners have what is called an apex. An apex is the theoretical center of a corner, the exact middle of a corner, the the sharpest point of a triangle or a corner. And a corner is kind of broken down similarly to how a triangle is. And this is the ideal point of where you want to put your car in that corner. Now, in theory, this is what it is, but in practice, it's a little bit different because you're accounting for the next part of the track, not just the corner that you're going through right now. So sometimes you may need to take an earlier apex or a later apex just to set yourself up better for the following corner after that or the following straight after that. So you'll hear driver saying oh I, I need to take an earlier apex or I need to take a later apex or I need to basically I missed my apex 
So that means they're not hitting the ideal point on the corner for the best possible exit into the next part of the track. Apexes, you'll hear that all the time throughout the weekend. That's just a general racing concept as a whole, not just exclusive to Formula One. Yeah, the apexes are super important because you gain way more time cornering than you do in the straights, contrary to popular belief. These cars are so quick through corners that you make you can make up a lot of time if you're better at cornering than the cars ahead of you or the cars around you. And that's kind of the whole reason for aerodynamics as a whole is to essentially be able to corner quicker. All right, moving on to some more racing terms. As far as like wheel-to-wheel combat, that just means like the drivers are literally going wheel-to-wheel next to each other, fighting for position. When it comes to battling, you'll usually hear the commentators saying, oh, he's going down the inside or he's going around the outside. That just means a driver is using inside positioning to try to make a pass or they're trying to go around the outside to make a pass of a corner so me and another driver are coming up to a corner and we're making a left-hand turn if I'm coming in and I come down his inside to make this left-hand turn that's me going down the inside on the contrary if I'm trying to pass and a driver is defending the inside I can go around the outside of the corner to try to pass now generally speaking going around the outside is much harder just because defending the inside is usually the ideal place depending on the track and where you're positioned on the track this is just generally speaking but usually it's a lot harder to pass going around the outside just because you have a longer distance to travel and it's harder to get a good exit when you're going around the outside of a corner and another way to pass outside of on the track is you can pass in the pit lanes or using strategy and this is a very this is where the the team aspect comes into play formula one is a very much an individual sport on the track because drivers are using their own skills to try to pass on the track but a lot of times teams will set it up so that they can pass using strategy as well and this is where you'll hear the terms overcut or undercut so basically what an undercut is is If I'm following a driver and I can't pass him using my pace, I will pit before him, put fresh tires on, come out of the pits, try to go as fast as possible so that when he pits after me, I've made up the time that he was in front of me and I can use the strategy and the fresh tires to be quicker than him on my out lap out of the pits than he is on his in lap into the pits, if that makes sense. And an overcut is the exact opposite of that. So that means that if I'm, if he pits, if the guy in front of me pits before me, I'm going longer and hoping that I still have enough pace on my older tires than he does on his colder, fresh tires where I can go longer and make up the gap and use my pace on my older tires to make up the gap so that when I pit after him, my in lap is quicker than his out lap as simple as that that's where you really feel that team aspect and you can this is why the timing of pit stops is so important pit stops are super fast i mean like for the most part under three seconds a lot of times in at least not anymore maybe in the past generations they were under two they can be under two seconds i mean they're in and out of these pit stops 
like quick as hell. I mean, they're only changing tires. They don't re- refuel anymore at all in the pits. It's against regulations. But that being said, still, these guys in sync, jacking up a car, getting the wheel gun, changing the tire, putting it on, tightening the wheel, dropping the car, getting them out in under three seconds is absolutely mesmerizing. I love watching pit stops. It's one of my favorite parts of the weekend. They get me so excited when they, they can just get them in and out as fast as possible. When you see guys like fighting in the pit lanes to try to get in and out as quickly as possible, and this is where the team aspect comes into it because there's nothing a driver can do about a slow pit stop. You pull in and you just pray that your team gets it right. And so that it's usually pretty exciting. Um, let's see, what else do I got on here? Pole position as far as qualifying. Um, this is really simple. Pole is just first place in qualifying. So if you see a post or a graphic saying, Oh, this driver got pole, that just means that um they got first in qualifying and that they'll start first in the race for the main session or the sprint session. Now, pole only applies to the actual main session. So pole is actually a stat that's kept. So these, it's really important that they make sure that they clarify what exactly is pole position. But again, starting from pole just means that you're starting first in your qualifying session simple as that um yeah man i think that that is a good baseline i think i pretty much covered everything that you probably need to know as far as like formula one and racing and wheel-to-wheel terms and just getting yourself familiarized with what it means when these guys are, are saying all this jargon and lingo i'm really looking forward to seeing you guys like pick up on it and on social media really getting into it and kind of understanding what it is that you're watching and not just watching it because I know when you feel like you have no clue what's going on you it just seems like these guys are just driving around in circles which they kind of are and don't let this race weekend be an indication of what a lot of races are actually like because I promise they're not all this boring but yeah, I feel like when you can really understand the concepts of what's going on on track and throughout the weekend, it really gives you a better perspective of how to understand basically what's going on throughout the race weekend and really get into it and get into the strategy of it because, see, that excite that type of stuff excites me. I don't necessarily always have to see wheel-to-wheel action to still be excited about a race. That's obviously the best part, but... It doesn't have to be that way when you really can can get the concepts. It's the same thing with like football and play calling strategies or really defensive games where it's low scoring. You can see the kind of the chess game that these guys are playing. That's what really makes it exciting when you're not seeing like the the obvious wheel to wheel action on track, even though that's always the best. Man, I am I'm I'm gassed, man. I'm gassed. I can't wait for Miami next weekend. I hope that it's an exciting race. We're back to a regular, regular, regular formatted weekend. Checo is only six points behind his teammate in the championships. Here are the updated drivers and drivers and constructors champion standings. 
man, it looks we might have a tighter championship race on our hands than we originally anticipated, man. I think Checo is is coming for for blood this year. I think that he doesn't have anything to lose. I think that he feels a little bit slighted by his treatment uh, within the team over the past couple of years after everything that he's done for Max and to help him be as great as he can possibly be and winning a Constructors' Championship last year and helping Max win two Drivers' Championships in a row. Obviously, a little bit more in 2021 than 2022. Max kind of ran away with it last year. But Checo was an amazing driver, and I want to see him take it take the fight to Max because it doesn't look like any other team is going to be able to. We'll see. Mercedes are anticipating bringing big upgrades uh, into Imola, which I believe is the race after Miami. So we'll see how that works out. But as far as right now, it's Red Bull's kind of in a class of their own. I mean, they were a second a lap faster than even the Ferraris this weekend. So I'm praying that um, we can see some some other teams get into the mix or at least see an intra-team battle between Checo and Max for the championship. And I, I hope that Red Bull doesn't do too much to step in the way and try to alter – what happens in this championship and try to get Checo to back off of Max. I really don't want to see that happen. I want just a straight up Nico Rosberg, Hamilton 2016 fight within the team for the championship. Like we saw with Fernando and Lewis in 2007 and 2008. I want to see that. I want to see it happen. I need to see it happen. I need to see that, that Red Bull civil war. Let's see anything else happen this weekend. As far as like racing goes, nothing much. Charles Leclerc started his music career. He dropped a single on iTunes and apparently is like top 10 on iTunes right now. He said that I know Lewis does music too. He's big into music and some of his, his music actually sounds good. Like he's been featured on a couple of songs and stuff. And Charles said that he would be interested in working with Lewis in the past, in the future at some point as far as music. We'll see how that that turns out i'm so happy that we're off of this four week racing hiatus that was trash let's keep the the long breaks to the summer and winter breaks i don't need a a formula one spring break this is outside of basketball this is really much all i have to look forward to right now we are in playoff basketball so I'm literally about to get out of here, and there's a game starting in about 30 minutes. And then my boy Steph and the Warriors are locked in for Game 7 in a couple of hours against the Kings, so I will be on the edge of my seat watching that. I got Succession tonight that I'm about to tune into, and Demon Slayer's back, so I'm lit about that. Yeah, man, it's just I'm feeling good this Sunday. It's going to be a great week. It was a great weekend. It's going to be a great week. Wherever you're listening to this in the world, I pray that you're having a blessed day and that everybody's on good vibes. It's beautiful here in Houston. It's nice and warm. The sun's out, not a cloud in the sky. And yeah, man, I'm feeling great. I got a couple errands to run, going to get the house together and just kind of chillax and vibe, man. I appreciate you guys listening again. Wherever you're listening to this, like and subscribe. Hit the bell on YouTube for the notifications. Uh, this episode will be out on Monday, and I will. I'm I'm putting a hard deadline on myself. I've been really needing to to g check myself, kind of, and get my shit together 
as far as like sticking to deadlines. So I'm putting a deadline on it, a timestamp. This the video will be out by Tuesday morning. I will have the visual out by Tuesday morning. The audio will be out Monday morning per usual, 9 a.m. on the dot. Like and subscribe. Leave me the five-star review. I don't care what you actually think. Just leave me the five-star. It helps a lot. And let's keep this Naldo thing going, man. I got big things in the works, man. I really enjoyed this episode. I think I'm just... I know I'm not the, the biggest expressional person, but in my head, I'm smiling ear to ear just because I'm loving the setup, man. I'm loving the mic. I'm loving the arm. It makes me excited to put this content out and grow with you guys. Uh, I believe I've hit 50 followers on Instagram recently and up to 10 subscribers on YouTube. Small milestone, but I thank you guys so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all of you that have subscribed and liked and just given me any kind of interaction it really gives me hope and joy for the future that this is going to be something big I feel it like right here that this is going to be something major and I feel like I'm going to look back on this episode and listen to this back in about like five to ten years and who knows where I could be I'll probably be some kind of trackside pundit and vlogging going to races and being in the pit lanes and hopefully by then I'll have some real special guests on here. My ultimate goal, and it will happen at some point, is to get Lewis on this podcast. I got to sit down in front of my guy and chat with him, and we can talk life and Formula One and music and motivation and all kind of stuff. But that will wrap up today's episode, man. I appreciate you guys for listening, and I will see you guys on the next one. Have a blessed Sunday. Peace.